Welcome to the First Nas Podcast. This week, we're continuing to listen to Pastor Paul in his sermon series, Lessons from Abraham, from Genesis chapter 18, a sermon titled, Laughable Promises. Let's listen in. Good morning. Thank you to our worship team. We're, uh, as we're turning toward Genesis chapter 18 this morning, just to remind you or let you know, maybe it's the first time you're hearing, Sunday, August 20th is our annual Serve Sunday or Serve uh, Serve Together Sunday. Together we serve. That's the right wording. Together we serve. We get together with a handful of other churches from our community, and we, we don't do church here. We do church out by serving people in our community. And so we'll gather that morning at Beachview Park in Clarkston, and we'll have a few worship songs, and then we'll go to a variety of different projects. So we're working on collecting projects. If you have a project in mind that would be a good opportunity for our congregation to just serve neighbors in our community, please let us know in the church office, and we will work with you to get supplies and and make sure that some of those projects happen. I have a note for myself. I forgot to write it in in my notes for preaching, so I'm worried that I'm going to forget because it's a note for after church, but before church or before I preach, I'll let you know that after the service, we need a handful of strapping men I'm not getting a lot of eye contact from the second row here. Okay, here we go. There we go. We, we're, we need a handful of strapping men who will be able to help move some things from storage for VBS into the main building. And so if you're available, Callie Gibbler, who was right there, uh, would be delighted to direct you and, and lead you and help you help us get everything in that needs to be, to be moved. So... Uh, some strong, it says strong people to move items from the VBS shed into the church. So, looking forward to that. Well, chapter, oh my, I'm sorry, words are coming out of my mouth and I'm not attentive to them. We, we better move to Genesis chapter 18. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, this is a story about hope and frustrated hope. Have you ever had a hope frustrated or, or lost hope? Have you ever lost hope? The dirtings have lost hope a time or two, I'm sure. Uh, hope you've never lost yourself. Uh, the, Lee Strobel writes a book called The Case for Hope. And in that book, he tells a story about uh, Major Harold Kushner, and Harold Kushner was a prisoner in the Vietnam conflict, uh, which was back for, for uh, people who, like me, need reminders about Vietnam. Uh, it was before I was born, in the, ended in the early 70s. And we sent from the U.S. lots and lots of our people over. We never declared war, but we sent lots and lots of people over. And it turned into a mess, and we had a lot of our people held as prisoners, prisoners of war during that period of time. And Major Kushner was one of the people who was held as a prisoner for five years uh, by the Viet Cong, uh, the opposition there. And uh, he tells a story, uh, Kushner describes one of his fellow American prisoners who is a tough young Marine who's 24 years old, 
this, this strapping guy, he made a deal with the commander of the prison that they were being held in. And he made a deal that if he, he worked for them, worked for the Viet Cong, he would be released. And so he immediately became a model prisoner. He did everything that was asked of him. He became, he became just this model person. He became the leader of the camp's thought reform program. He was, he was heading, heading the right direction as far as the Viet Cong were concerned. But before long, it became clear to him that the camp commander had lied. And there was no real hope of release. And, and they had no intention of letting him go. And so Major Kushner describes what happened to the Marine uh, this way. He says, when the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all the work, and he rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. The cause of the prisoner's death, I mean, it's, it's hopelessness. It's, it's hopelessness. Um, there, there's little doubt that hopelessness can kill. In fact, uh, physicians and, and scientists were studying people who, who were prisoners of war during World War II and uh, the Korean conflict and Vietnam conflict, and, and they, they coined a phrase, a condition that they nicknamed give up-itis, where, where people would just shut down. They, would, they, would, uh, they were living in such difficult circumstances. They had so little hope of ever being released. Uh, they, they became demoralized and, and just completely filled with despair. And uh, after a while, they would turn apathetic. They'd refuse to eat and drink. They'd spend all of their time just staring blankly into space. And, and drained of hope, these prisoners would gradually just waste away and die. There's a physician who was studying all of this. Uh, who's, it's Arnold Hushnecker. We'll try that for pronunciation. He says, since, since my early years as a physician, I learned that taking away hope to most people is like pronouncing a death sentence. Their already hard-pressed will to, love, to live can become paralyzed, and they may give up and die. You know, not many of us are going to go through such grim circumstances. Not many of us are, are going to live as prisoners of war by God's grace. But all of us in, in our lives, we depend on hope to keep us going. We, we need the, the hope that comes from the Lord to keep us going. We need hopes, things to focus on into the future uh, we all have hopes, whether they're big or small, right? We, we all have like some small hope of what this afternoon is going to look like. like. For some of us, that looks like a nap. And some people are like really hoping for a nap for themselves or for a loved one. Uh, <laughs> some of us have bigger hopes, you know, we, we have big dreams and, and hopes about what, what might be coming down, down the pike. Uh, we, we have hopes in the significant other that the Lord might lead into our lives. We, we have hopes for our kids. Uh, we, we have hopes for and dreams for our future, things that just kind of keep us going uh, as, as we move forward in life and, and continue on the journey that God has laid out for us. And some have hoped in the Lord for, for something and have, have hoped more times than you 
you would care to admit. And, and sometimes we can hope in the Lord for things that don't come, and we begin to, we begin to think that it's foolish to hope. We, we begin to wonder if there's any reason for hope. So today we turn in God's Word as, as we study what the Lord has offered to us uh, through the Bible. We, we turn to a story that shows what happens when somebody has lost hope. Uh, but in this story, God shows up. So we're, we're looking these days in the book of Genesis at the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham's story is marked by these incredible appearances of God. God just shows up in, in Abraham's story, and, and God makes these incredible promises to God. In fact, it seems like every time we look at another story from Abraham, it's another story of God speaking to Abraham in ways that we would love, frankly, for God to come and speak to us, for, for God to speak clearly, even if it's in a dream. We would love for God to speak the way that God speaks to Abraham, but Abraham hears over and over again about the blessings that God is going to pour out in his life and about the ways that God is going to do amazing things for him. Today in Genesis 18, uh, we, we're looking um, at a story that comes on the heels of, of God again, uh, giving an incredible, an incredible blessing. Hebrews, 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 Genesis. I need to think about the words that come out of my mouth. Okay, Genesis 17 is a story in which God shows up and speaks a blessing to Abraham. It's a blessing that, that uh, Abraham needs a new name to contain the blessing. The, Abraham was born Abram, which means exalted father. But God says that name doesn't fit because the, the name you need to have is Abraham, which is a father of a multitude. Uh, that's a name that can go with the blessing that you've been given. Can you imagine if God showed up and said, you know, you were born, you were born Alyssa, but really you should be, your name should be Megabucks or, you know, like father of many. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you accept that kind of blessing? There, Abraham, who he has one son that's born outside of the promise of God, he, Abram, uh, receives this message from God that the blessing is too big for the name Abram. You need to be the father of a multitude. That needs to be your name from now on. And that is Abraham's name from now on, father of a multitude. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that, again, we, we go from chapter 17 to chapter 18, and God is repeating the blessing, repeating the promise that Abraham is going to be the father of a multitude, that he's going to have his own children through his wife, Sarah, but the new wrinkle in the passage that we're looking at today, the new, the new piece that we're, we're seeing in, in this passage is that while Abraham is the one interacting with God, really God is trying to talk to Abraham's wife, Sarah. And, and we see how, how she needs to hear and her heart needs to change with regard to God's promise. And so this is a story we're looking today at Genesis 18, 1 through 15. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 8. So this is Abraham, or, I can't say the name of the book. Genesis 18, 1 through 8. And it says, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them. 
bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three measures of your, your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt, and milk, and the roasted meat, and he served it to them. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. So the, the first part of this passage just really sets the stage for what's to come. We looked last week at the second half of Genesis 18, and we talked about these three visitors, these three mysterious visitors that show up. We're told there's just like this very brief introductory sentence in verse 1, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, and, and then it's three men, three men that come to visit. Later in chapter 18, in the passage we looked at yesterday, these three men, they're no longer three men, it's the Lord, uh, but it, then it's the Lord and the two men, and the, the two men separate, and the Lord is there speaking with Abraham. And then when, if we looked on to chapter 19, the two men go into Sodom, and it's two angels there. And so we get this sort of, if we put together the pieces, we're still a little bit confused about exactly what these three visitors are and who they are, but we can understand that the presence of God is coming and meeting directly with Abraham here in Genesis chapter 18. And, and so uh, they, the, the, the chapter begins with Abraham resting during the hottest part of the day. He had probably done his morning chores. He was, he was tired out from, from what he had done. He's relaxing in the shade of the oak grove there, uh, taking a little siesta. And we see Abraham's reaction to the men. Uh, Abraham seriously wants to make a good impression on these guys. Seriously wants to make a good impression. He, he, uh, these first five verses, he's just talking to them, trying to get them to stay with him. He doesn't want them to pass on. He wants them to stay. The, Genesis tells us that he ran to them. That's a big deal. Men in, the, in Abraham's day, they didn't run. That's undignified behavior. And so Abraham is, is kind of humbling himself in front of these visitors. He's, he's inviting them. He's welcoming them. He's trying to do everything he can to get them to stick around. And then Abraham is very careful with his words. You know, if it pleases your, your, uh, if your, if your servant has found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by uh, your servant. He's obviously trying to, to make a good impression, to, to honor these important guests. And Abraham, he, uh, he has already been in the presence of God so many times right? Like every time we look at Abraham's story, he sees God, he is in the presence of God. So you have to wonder if there isn't just like a little piece of Abraham here that has a sense, you know, my, my friend Gary says, sometimes the, I get a little tingle in the back of my neck and I know the presence of the Lord is around. Like some, sometimes 
some people have a sense of the Lord's presence. And so maybe if it looks like three men, Abraham, who has spent so much time in God's presence already, is able to just say, something more is happening here than just three men coming to visit. Abraham is ready to react, to respond to God, to invite God to come on in. <laughs> Bless me with your presence. Please don't pass me by. Let me, let me serve you the best meal I can. And, and what we see in verses 6 and 7 is Abraham serving him, the, these guests, the, the best meal that, that he can. He, he goes to the tent and he tells Sarah to make this ridiculously huge batch of bread. Uh, one measure of flour would be a gallon of flour. Can you imagine how much bread you could make from three gallons of flour? I mean, I, our oven would be busy all day. I, mean, I, I, don't, I can't imagine three gallons of flour. He says use the, the uh, Hebrew points to the finest flour or fine flour. In, in the Old Testament, when the only other time that fine flour is mentioned it's mentioned in connection with the, the bread that the priests were supposed to place in the holy place in, in the temple. It was the bread that was supposed to be in God's presence. So Abraham tells his wife, make an enormous batch of bread that is fit to be in God's presence. And then he goes and he chooses a, a tender calf. This is, this is a meal fit for a king. This is like Technically speaking, this is what you serve a king. This is, this is the nicest thing that he can muster. And, and he gets this, all the pieces put together. And because Abraham is so impressed by these three visitors who have shown up, it's no wonder then that they speak with considerable authority when, when they do speak. And, and we read about the, their conversation then in verses 9 through 15. Genesis continues, uh, where is your wife, or Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how can a worn out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. So the, the stage has been set. The visitor is none other than the Lord. And, and we get to the heart of the conversation. You, you notice the Lord reveals just, just how much the Lord knows in this. That there's no introductions made, but the Lord knows that Sarah is Abraham's wife. Where is Sarah your wife? She hasn't, she hasn't appeared yet on the scene. 
and, and the Lord says, where is Sarah, your wife? Um, but then in verse 9, the, the prediction, a year's time, I'll come back, and there will be a baby in Sarah's arms, her own baby. Um, it, it, it's enough certainty to know this is, this is someone who knows. <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty prophetic word here. But the subtext of the whole conversation is that Abraham is really just a bystander in all of it. Uh, Sarah is listening from from the tent, uh, but the Lord is really trying to have a conversation with Sarah. Um, She she laughs to herself, and she thinks these things. And so she's inside the tent. She's laughing to herself. She's thinking these things. Or, or, you know, maybe she's muttering inside the tent. And so it's all hidden from the Lord, but the Lord sees what is hidden. And so the Lord knows the, the thoughts of her hearts. The Lord knows that she is laughing to herself. Um, and, and the content of the Lord's speech is really familiar, right? We've heard this all before. In fact, this is, this is probably the fourth, fifth occasion that this promise has been repeated in Genesis. Five other times the promise of many heirs has been repeated to, to Abraham. And this is probably the fifth appearance of God to make the, this type of, of promise. And, and so as, as Sarah listens from, from the inside, her reaction is, is pretty revealing. She's heard it all before. She's heard it all before. Um, she... she has heard this promise that she's going to be able to have a child. And, and she has been disappointed over and over again. She's been disappointed and let down. And, and uh, so she laughs. She laughs. And, and with her laughter comes the revelation that she doesn't think this is actually good news. This is no longer good news. She says, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? She laughs. Um, she finds a way to make this great good news into to bad news, to no news at all. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember, uh, I remember the, uh, the National Enquirer, right? You remember the National Enquirer? When, when I was a kid you would check out at the supermarket and there would be tabloids. Are there still tabloids in checkout lines? Sometimes. Do you ever go to the grocery store? <laughs> they, so you, would go to the, you had to go to the grocery store because there was nothing else to do. So you would go to the grocery store with your mom and uh, there would be in the, in the checkout lines uh, tabloids, the National Enquirer. And there, there were others. And they, the National Enquirer had always had these really sensational headlines. It would, like, a typical National Enquirer headline would be, two-pound cat gives birth to five-pound dog. Like, it's just absolutely insane sort of things. There's always aliens, always aliens involved. If the National Enquirer is going to print, it's because there have been aliens spotted or something, you know. Uh, this sounds, Sarah, Sarah laughs because this sounds like a National Enquirer headline, you know? 90-year-old woman gives birth to son. Both need a nap. It's, uh, <laughs> th- this is exactly what the National Enquirer would say. And so Sarah is, you know, this is funny because 
she's long since given up hope that this is ever going to come true. It's, it is ridiculous to her to think that the Lord would, would do what she has done. And, and that's just, you know, the way she makes it into a joke, it's just one of the signs that she, she's lost hope. She's lost hope completely. Another sign that, that she has lost hope is just her immediate rush to the negative. You know, oh, now that I'm so old, now that I don't have any energy, now that my master is so old too, my husband's so old, really? At, at this point in our lives, we're going to have a child? Like, that doesn't sound like good news to the average 90-year-old, right? <laughs> to have to chase after a kid. And, and so, you know, there's this glimmer in her mind. There's this, like, little piece in her mind that maybe, maybe it would happen that I'd have a kid, but is it really good news anymore at this point in my life? You know, it's, it's just sort of this, her, her jumping immediately to the negative it's so common in, in us when we lose hope, isn't it? You know, hope isn't blind optimism. Hope isn't blind optimism. Hope doesn't, doesn't, isn't naive uh, to the point of completely ignoring, you know, Sarah doesn't completely ignore, shouldn't ignore the idea of her age. But when we have hope, we, we don't immediately dismiss the good and immediately focus on the bad. I was reading this morning, though, that we are wired sometimes like this, that there, there is such a thing as negativity bias. Uh, when, when something is presented to us, we are, we are more drawn to the negative than the positive, and that's like a survival instinct, right? When we lose hope, our negativity bias, it just it becomes so strong, we can't even see the good that might present itself. And this is something that's so easy to see in other people, but really hard to see in ourselves, right? We all, we all can uh, think of people who, who lose hope over a circumstance and, and justify their negativity about it as, you know, just good common sense, right? You gotta think rationally about things, being realistic. And, and, but when we raise objections before we acknowledge that there could be anything good in a situation, it might be a sign that, that we've lost hope completely. Another, another way that Sarah shows that she's lost hope is at the end of the chapter, she's, she denies her denial. <laughs> she says, no, I didn't laugh. This is a really awkward end to this conversation, Right? The Lord just like lets this, this awkward accusation hang in the air. And the, you know, it moves on in verse 16. It is no longer this story. It's just this awkward hanging out there. No, you laughed. I heard you. I know. I'm the Lord. Don't lie to me. And so the, the, the Lord asks, like, asks Abraham because, you know, the... Abraham is sort of the go-between here. Why, why did Sarah laugh? Uh, and the, the author of Genesis tells us that, that she, she denies it because she was afraid. She said, I did not laugh. And the, Lord, the Lord knew better. But the, the significant point uh, in verse 15 is, is that Sarah was embarrassed and afraid of her natural reaction. She, she didn't want to admit 
that her natural inclination to hearing good news is to laugh. She didn't want to admit to the Lord, to the Lord that, yeah, God, that sounds nice and all, but that, that's just not going to happen. This, this might be the first time that she realized just how closed her heart had become to God's promise. This might be the first time that she, she really reflects and thinks, you know, that's, that's probably not the healthiest way to react to God's promise, to laugh at God's promise. And losing, losing hope, it, it makes us into people we don't recognize. <laughs> it turns us into people who we don't like to be. When, when we are without hope, it's like our body's lacking oxygen. Uh, we, we become negative and lethargic and mean-spirited. You know, give up-itis, as the doctors called it. It, it turns us into shells of ourselves. And people lose hope for all sorts of reasons. Sarah is the test case for a lot of people who have lost hope. She has waited for so long for this one promise to be fulfilled. Lots of us wait and wait and wait. And hope against hope. To, to the point we begin to say it's, it's ridiculous to wait any longer. <laughs> and we give up hope. We've been through cycle after cycle of getting our hopes up, of thinking maybe, maybe now the Lord is going to, to bless me. Maybe now this, this good thing that I believe the Lord wants me to have is going to come true. We, we read more into small signs than we ought to. We, we feel like we've become a fool once again. Some people lose hope because of one great big disappointment. Uh, the, the young Marine from Lee Strobel's story lost hope because his plan to negotiate his release failed. It just it sent him into a tailspin he couldn't, couldn't recover from. Some people have one relationship fail and, and they say, people hurt you and they won't open their hearts again. I hear occasionally of one bad experience in the church that leads someone to give, give up on the church altogether. It doesn't do any good to try to argue someone into hope. <laughs> and this passage reminds us, though, that God just isn't affected by, by Sarah's lack of hope. God, God comes and, and meets Sarah right there in the midst of her hopelessness. And he repeats the promise that he intends to fulfill. And God calls Sarah on her embittered laughter. The Lord doesn't just let it slide. The Lord doesn't just say, never mind to that. The Lord sits with Sarah in the uncomfortable moment of her recognizing that she's given up. And it's her laughter that elicits the most important words of the passage because it's in, in response to Sarah laughing that the, the Lord says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? See, God's ability to do for us is greater than our ability to dream for us. 
God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. The Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, two, nine, chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Passages like that remind me to hope big in God. Even when hope seems ridiculous, even when we're tempted to laugh at the things we used to hope for, God's plans for us are good. The rub is that God's plan for us for good does not always line up with our own plan for ourselves. God's good may seem difficult or uncomfortable. Or in the case of Sarah, God's timing may seem laughable. But I'd ask you, I mean, what if, what if we just kind of let go of some of our own hope and and let the Lord direct our hope? Let let the Lord direct us to and and channel our hearts toward the things that, that the Lord has prepared for us. What if we, we allowed God to, to shape our dreams and to speak into to the ideas we have about ourselves for the future? We've been trying to do this as a church. A year and a half ago, we got together uh, with a, a group of people and we prayed and we asked God to give us a vision. And, and I believe there's great power in the vision that the Lord has given us to be a growing congregation of all generations, intentionally following Jesus Uh, graciously doing life together, joyfully serving and loving everyone. I think there's power in in these hopes that the Lord has placed on our heart. I believe there's power in trying to follow the direction that the Lord has given us as a body. But it is important as individuals to continue this work for ourselves in the midst of our community. It is important that we pray with other believers about the hopes that the Lord has placed on our hearts. It's important that we we ask others and join with others in praying, is is this from the Lord? Is this the way that God would direct me? To to ask others for, for discernment, to know if, if this is God's hope or if this is just mine. This is the power of, of being in, in a small group, in a life group, to walk with others and to ask them to pray with you about the hopes that the Lord has placed on your heart. I, I think a church body doing this as, as a church, trying, trying to seek the Lord's direction for us together, I think it's a great thing and I think it could bear incredible fruit for us as we move forward as a congregation. I think being a group of individuals committed to this day in and day out, to live together and and pray with one another about the hopes and dreams that the Lord has placed on each of our hearts, I I think that could change the world. I, I, I think we could see God do amazing things as each of us ask the Lord and walk with one another saying, Lord, what is it for tomorrow that you have for me? How, how will you use me and, and what are you doing this week in my life? How are you directing me, God? Is this my hope or is this your hope for my week, Lord? Uh, I, think, I think a group of us doing that together 
could be more, more powerful than, than this valley could contain. So will you pray with me? Will you join me in asking the Lord to direct us? God, I, I thank you so much because there's a, a group of people here this morning who have some hope. Even those who would say they have no hope, don't, don't feel any hope in their hearts, Lord. Even those that are here this morning or are listening online, they got up this morning and they made it here or they turned, you, turned, turned on this morning to, to see what it is that you might do. Because we have hope in you, God. We trust you. We believe you. We believe, God, that you could do in our lives more than we could ever imagine. That you could take us in directions that we could never plan for ourselves. That you could guide us in ways that we would never imagine of taking ourselves. And for your ability to do that, God, we give you praise and glory and honor and we thank you. But this morning, Lord, we, we find ourselves as people who need to continue to, to hear from you. Some of us have plans and hopes and, and a future in mind that isn't yours. Would you, Lord, as as gently as we are able to listen, would you speak into the, to the areas of our lives that, that aren't leading us in the direction that you have for us? Some of us, some here, will be able to hear a gentle voice and understand. Some of us will need you to completely shut doors, to, to speak audibly, We'll need you, Lord, to, to act in ways to help us understand where you are guiding. Lord, there are some who are on the right path, but it seems like it's taking forever. This morning, would you encourage their hearts? Would, would you sit with them in, in their loss of hope? Would you challenge them? If they are like Sarah laughing, thinking there's no way that, that it could happen the way they, that they think it might, Lord, would you, would you just encourage some hearts this morning? We're quick to acknowledge that your timing is not our timing, but Lord, it's, while we're quick to acknowledge it, it's really hard for us. And and we, we struggle, Lord, to be patient and wait on you. So help us, but also, God, would you act? Would you move on our behalves? Would you, would you just indulge us in our impatience, Lord? Help us, Lord, to see your hand at work in our lives and in our community and in our church, Lord. Keep guiding us, God. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that, that goes with us each day. And so we open our hearts to your work and pray that you would guide us 
and hope for this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me just bless you and remind you. You go now in the presence of God, the one who gives great hope, who can do more than you could ever dream for yourself. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First NAS podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person soon at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.